Welcome to a new episode of the Sunday Sauce. I'm here with Monica Crowley, former Assistant Secretary for Public Affairs of the U.S. Department of Treasury. That's a very long title. Welcome, welcome, Monica. Mike, it's great to be with you. And yeah, that title was a mouthful, but it was a fantastic job. Also, I should mention it was under former President Trump, who we probably wish we had back in office at this point. So, yes. Yes, <laughs> but that's besides the point. <laughs> but um, Monica, thank you. Um, so, how, how did all? How did you? You were uh, you were born in Arizona, but raised in New Jersey. Is that what? Is that yeah. how it was? Yeah. So first of all, thank you so much for having me on Sunday Sauce, Mike. It's terrific to be here and to be here with you. Um, yeah, I was actually born on an army base called Fort Huachuca in Arizona. Fort Huachuca is still there. It's an active uh, army base, and it's actually the center for army intelligence mm. in the United States. So, for example, when we invaded Iraq and we took over all of Saddam Hussein's palaces, the army went in and gathered all kinds of intel, you know, computer disks and hard drives and, and papers and documents, shipped them all to Fort Huachuca for analysis. Uh, so my father was in army intelligence and that's why I was born at Fort Huachuca. And I've always been pro-military, pro-US army ever since. Well, you know, I wish more people were like you who are pro-military because these days, uh... It's too woke. The military is too woke. That's what they say. My friends are in the military and they're like, uh, this is this is a problem. <laughs> it's not it, like what it used to be. It's a huge problem. It's, yeah. And it wasn't that way when my father was in the U.S. I'm sure. Army, I'm sure. But now, unfortunately, and it's really crippling our readiness. Mm -hmm. It's crippling our ability to fight and win wars, which is what the military is there for. Nothing mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. uh, but to do that. And, uh, you know, we've got political generals now. And to some extent, our generals have always been somewhat political to try to navigate the military and then the civilian control, like the commander in chief and so on. But now we've got generals that are far too interested in where the political winds are blowing and political correctness. And unfortunately, I think it's going to mean that the U.S. is going to lose a war pretty soon. Well, we're about this close to going to war with Russia, allegedly. So uh, we'll see. And Russia is a serious country. They have nuclear weapons and they're not they're not Afghanistan. They're not Iraq. They're not guys in sandals with uh, AK-47s. These these are like legitimate trained killers, Russian soldiers like they're, they're you know. Yes. Yes. And what's amazing, Mike, and we don't have to get off on this tangent, right. but what's it's amazing okay. is the current president and the media seem to be doing everything to goad us mm -hmm. into a land war in Europe. And just a quick reminder under President Trump, we had no new wars. That's right. And zero casualties in Afghanistan for 18 months because President Trump said to the Taliban, listen, you kill someone, one of our, our American soldiers, you're going to pay. And, you know, he, they know that, that President Trump would have made them pay. He made it very clear when he bombed uh, that Iranian general and all those other people. So, but under President Biden, it seems uh, the Taliban you know, they kind of pull the wool over the U.S.'s eyes. They said they were going to help us. Then they probably let in that ISIS bomber who killed 13 of our service members. And uh, now they're just rounding up U.S. citizens still left in Afghanistan, you know, doing whatever to them. Who knows? Yeah, that's right. No, yeah. look, you need a strong commander in chief to represent a strong America. And when America is 
is considered weak, rather, whether it's in real terms, like in terms of a depleted military, or the perception of America as weak, as embodied in a weak commander in chief like Joe Biden mm -hmm. or Jimmy Carter before him, mm -hmm. the bad guys advance. And I, 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 you know, I can't blame them because weakness is provocative. So I can't blame Vladimir Putin or President Xi in China or the Iranian regime or Kim Jong-un in North Korea or terrorist organizations. They are serving their own interests by taking full advantage of the fact that the United States is led by a bunch of woke weaklings. It's, it's very true. And um, I think uh, in November, the Democrats are going to be in for a very, very, very awakening. When it we comes can to the only House hope, Mike. We yes. can only hope. Yes, yes. But um, let's back up. So, how did Monica get into politics? What, like, growing up, were you, were you always into politics? Did you really? Because I know your father was in the army. You said, did you? Were you always about like you know political stuff, or not really until you got a little bit older? Well, I appreciate the question, Mike, and and I rarely get it, so thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, I. My parents were always engaged in the world, watching the news. And at that time, there were only three channels doing the evening news at six o'clock or 6.30, whatever it was. And I remember we would either have dinner before the evening news or after the evening news so we could sit and watch as family. And as a little kid, you know, you're playing with your Barbie, you're not really paying attention. But I, I look back now and think, yeah, they had it on while they were both quiet <laughs> so that they could understand what was happening in the world. And I think I was absorbing a lot of that as well. And then when we'd have dinner, we would talk about our days, whether it's at school or at work, but we always had part of that conversation centered on what was happening in the country and the world. Mm -hmm. So I think I was always deeply involved in that. And then I have to say, uh, bringing it, uh, sort of bringing it up full circle, I really started getting passionate about my country and our leadership when I was in junior high, mm. because that's when President Reagan was in office. Right. And it was a very exciting, optimistic, positive time. And, you know, I'm, I'm a kid, uh, but I was aware enough to know that the country was in a good place mm -hmm. under Reagan. Mm -hmm. So while maybe, Mike, I didn't understand why lower taxes were beneficial or particularly why American strength was a good thing, a moral good thing in right. the world, I understood on a visceral level that those were the correct policy paths. And then as I got older and began to study the issues, I could understand why they were the right policy paths. And so I've been a conservative pretty much since I came out of the womb and still am today, my friend. That's great. That's great. I feel like, well, you're, 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 you were, you were a very young lady when Vietnam was going on. Right. So you were I was, like, uh, yeah, yeah. I know maybe I feel like a lot of people, um, turned political after the Vietnam war, I would say, right. Like that's when people really started to pay attention to politics after that war or during the war, because there was a lot of protests and stuff like that. Yeah, and it's really the first time the country was split since the Civil War, split mm -hmm. in like a really meaningful kind mm -hmm. of way. Mm -hmm. So you're exactly right. Vietnam kind of cracked that egg open again after it had been healed after the Civil War and Reconstruction. Then the country was torn apart over, over Vietnam um, because you had a lot of 
leftist influence mm -hmm. uh, coming into the country, a lot of it being led by the KGB in the Soviet Union um, to stoke that kind of countercultural activity, uh, dissent over the war. They were trying to undermine us from within. And in mm -hmm. fact, the North, North Vietnamese uh, president actually said that the war in Vietnam was not going to be won in the jungles of Vietnam. It was going to be won on the streets of America. Mm. So they knew exactly what they were doing to undermine the, the effort here at home. They got the college kids, academia, the media, culture, everything sort of aligned against the war effort undermined what our young boys were doing over there, trying to do, trying to hold back the spread of communism. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that was one big thing that obviously began the modern era of tearing the country apart. But the second thing, of course, was Watergate. Right. And I worked with President Nixon during this last years, but that, that whole thing, those two things together, undermined our confidence in the system. And it just keeps getting eroded more and more every day. It's funny you bring up Watergate now because I feel like today uh, Hillary Clinton is kind of doing having a modern day Watergate scandal. Um, her lawyer is getting indicted, this and that, but she goes on on the TV and says this is this is fake and Trump is just making it up and Republicans are making it up. So how how can she say that when there's actual indictments being being handed out? I'm very confused. You know, Hillary Clinton is one of the most corrupt villains to ever uh, be in American leadership or or on the American political scene. She has been that way for 40 years. Arkansas uh, first lady, Secretary of State, U.S. Senator. It never ends with mm -hmm. the Clintons, so I'm not mm -hmm. surprised that she's saying that. Yeah. And look, Democrats and deep state sociopaths like Mrs. Clinton continue to get away with their crimes for one reason and one reason only, Mike, and that is they have the protection of the press. That's when true. you have the protection of the press, you can get away with anything. Republicans do not have that luxury. I'm not excusing bad behavior, but I'm saying that the Democrats really engage in it at epic levels, mm -hmm. like they did against President Trump and they get away with it. You mentioned Watergate. I've been thinking about this a lot. I might write a column for the New York Post about this mm -hmm. because I'm the only person, as far as I know, who has worked for both President Nixon and President Trump. Mm -hmm. um, I, it seems to me Watergate is such child's play compared to what we're talking about here. Watergate was a one-time break-in that was a minor dirty tricks play. And again, not excusing bad behavior, no, but you gotta not. set it in context. Yeah. The perspective is that was so minor and small. Mm -hmm. And then it blew up, of course, when Nixon got involved and started covering things up. But based on what we know so far about Hillary, her campaign, uh, and the entire Obama White House and administration, all the way up to Barack Obama, Joe Biden, James Clapper, the head of the CIA, John Brennan, they all had to know, they all had to be involved in not just a one-time break-in, but we're talking about serial spying, mm -hmm. surveillance, and planting of the ultimate smear against a political opponent during a campaign, and then while he is the sitting president of the United States. We have never seen a political scandal of this magnitude before. Yes, like I said, it's pretty serious, but you know, you have channels like um, CNN and MSDNC, like Hannity likes to call it, and you know, all those channels 
They just protect every single Democrat. But if a Republican does one thing wrong, it's literally the end of the world. It's the craziest thing ever. Yeah, well, you know, they're they're in a war. We're all in a war because mm-hmm. the left has chosen it. And the left has been doing this now for decades. It didn't just start under Obama or under Trump. Mm-hmm. The left's main mission is to destroy the country. They want to destroy the foundational principles that made us great. So individual liberty, gone. Free market capitalism, gone so that they can replace it with this like socialist collectivist kind of model Mm -hmm. with them in charge, of course. So all that they have done and all they continue to do is geared for that one mission. Donald Trump was an existential threat to that big project. So he had to be destroyed and Mm -hmm. they continue to try to destroy him because they're really afraid he's going to come back. Do you still talk to the president? I do. Yeah. I saw him. Um, I saw him recently, actually, a couple of weeks ago down in Florida. Mm-hmm. We had a great long conversation about a whole variety of things. And while he didn't tell me, Mike, whether or not he's going to run again, I have a good sense. I think he might. I think I think that's the big <laughs> consensus around here that he's going to run. I'm sure he's going to have another position for you if he wins again. Well, he well probably, I, when, he, when he wins. <laughs> when he wins, yes, yeah. as long as the election is clean. Right. Um, I think he's got a very good chance of, of winning because Biden is such a disaster and Trump was a huge success. You know, I always say when people bitch and moan about Trump and his tweets and his style, I always say thriving economy and world peace. What more do you expect from, from an American president? I, oh, that's he amazing. and hurt your feelings? Booming economy and world peace. Right. That's the president's job. It's true. It, I mean, it's true. He, he literally went to North Korea and, and shook Jim, Jim, um, Kim Jong-un's hand in North Korea. Like, no other president has done that. I mean, they sent Dennis Rodman there before, I guess, before Trump. <laughs> I guess Obama sent, but that's, I mean, that's pretty cool, but it's still, it wasn't the president. Like Obama never went there or Bush never went there. So for a president to even go into North Korea is like, you know, it's a very big thing, but a lot of people, they just want to talk about, I always hear about the Trump, he's, he's racist, he's racist, he's racist, racist. But Democrats always forget that Joe Biden was actually the one who signed all the laws back when he was a senator. And to, for, to make it hard for minorities in jail and on crime. Like if you had one ounce of cocaine, you go to jail for 25 years. This was all Democrats and Joe Biden. So the whole the whole racist talk is just it's ridiculous. I, I can't take it. It really is. You know, Democratic Party was the party of the KKK. Democratic Party was the, the party of slavery. It was Jim Crow. Lincoln, a Republican mm-hmm. who, uh, who got rid of slavery. Jim Crow it was all Democrats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Democrats have been very smart about flipping the script and right. the narrative. And because they control the press, they've had that helping hand in, in flipping it that way. But it is absolutely historically inaccurate. Mm-hmm. And Republicans have been far more advanced on civil rights going all the way back to the beginning. Uh, and Abraham Lincoln, but certainly through the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And even in the 1950s, my old boss, President Nixon, uh, was vice president under President Eisenhower. He ran against JFK in 1960, Nixon was far more progressive on civil rights than the Kennedys were. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, that changed, but Republicans were way ahead of their time. They have not told their own story on this very well. 
but also they got no outlets to do it because the mainstream press just buries the truth. It's true. Republicans literally only have Fox News and Newsmax. Everything else is just straight liberal. Everything, literally. Uh, that's true. I mean, there are very few places to go, unfortunately. And I remember one day sitting with President Nixon, and this was the mid-1990s, and he called me in the office, and he had the A section of the New York Times, which he had just finished, Mike. And in a fit of frustration and anger, he balled up the entire section and kind of like threw it at me in a kind of a playful way. And he said, he swore. And then he said, Monica, it's a miracle. We get elected to anything given the coverage that we face. And that was long before cable news, CNN and MSNBC. And mm -hmm. thank goodness for Fox and the Wall Street Journal, New York Post, a few others. But otherwise, you know, we're, we're really at a grave disadvantage. Yeah. Um, so when you became the Assistant Secretary of Public Affairs, um, what, what was your ex exact, like, what were you in charge of at the Treasury? Like, what was your day-to-day -day operations over there? Well, first of all, I loved being at the Treasury Department, mm -hmm. and I really wanted to serve my country. I've always wanted to go to Washington, Mike, and serve a president whose agenda I, I really appreciated and respected and uh, voted for. And, you know, George W. Bush came along and so on, but nothing really grabbed me until Trump came along. And I was uh, sort of famously the very first person to go on national television with Bill O'Reilly and Don Imus, and they were all laughing at him in June of 2015. And I said, stop laughing. Do not underestimate him. He is going to pull the whole thing off. And Trump saw me say that. He never forgets anything. He's mm -hmm. very, very loyal. Um, so when this opportunity at Treasury came up, I jumped for it. So I was the Assistant Secretary of the Treasury, running public affairs. And I was the Treasury Department spokesperson, as well as over, overseeing, but also really developing all of the economic messaging and to mm -hmm. some extent the economic policies as well, working with the policy team and the comms team in the White House to help develop and sell the Trump economic agenda. So tax cuts, regulatory relief, unleashing our great energy sector mm -hmm. and fairer trade deals. And I remember my predecessor in the job was, was leaving and he's a good friend of mine. And I said to him, I was like, Tony, do not stick me with a bad economy because it's mm -hmm. my job to work on the policy and develop the messaging to sell it. And I was only like half kidding. The economy was booming under Donald Trump until the pandemic. And then of right. course, you know, we had the, the most unprecedented economic crisis since the Great Depression. So little did I know, Mike, when I said to Tony, don't stick me with a bad economy that I was going to face the gravest economic catastrophe since the Great Depression. But we managed it. We got through it. We got the American people through it with all kinds of unprecedented programs and things to get us through the immediate part of the crisis. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, Trump got those vaccines going. And uh, even though all the liberals said they would never take a Trump vaccine, but now they're pushing it on everybody. So, <laughs> you know, exactly. push that vaccine. No, no mention of Trump developing no, no, it no. and developing the logistics to get it out. Yeah, yeah, no, no. It's every, I just remember when it was being made in Project Warp Speed, Operation Warp Speed, uh, every Kamala Harris, all AOC, all and oh, I would never put a Trump vaccine in my body. Now, every day, get vaccinated. 
don't be an ask, wear a mask. Like, like, <laughs> come on, man, uh, enough of this crap. You're right. Yeah. And it's not hypocrisy, it's hierarchy. Yeah. You know, like when you see the celebrities at the Super Bowl and none of them are masks, but everybody's little kids are still in masks when there's no science to back that up. It's not hypocrisy, it's hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the, the elite ruling class gets away with whatever they want. And again, they've got the protection of the press. That mayor guy said he's a funny guy of L.A. He he when the two weeks he went to the championship game and he said he held his breath for a picture then put his mask on. But at the Super Bowl the whole time he didn't have a mask on. So he must have the Guinness Book of World Records for holding your breath the longest time. Like, let, let me so. tell you, let me he tell must. you. He yeah. must. He must. I mean, they are all hypocrites and they don't give a flying wit about you or your family at all. This is all about power and control. I would say, having been there at the very beginning of the pandemic, Mike, um, it, it was about this novel coronavirus that nobody had ever seen before. So nobody knew how it was going to behave, right. right? Like, is this going to be the Ebola where you're dead in 48 hours mm -hmm. and bleed out? Or is this like a more extreme flu? Nobody knew. Right. Um, but now two years in, two plus years in, we know about this virus. We know how it behaves. We know how we should be protecting the vulnerable and that's it. And so for these Democrats in these blue states to still have all these mandates Ugh. and Justin Trudeau on our Northern border to be trampling his own people over mandates for basically what's now a cold mm -hmm. is absurd but it tells you exactly who they are and what they want which right. is again the destruction of freedom are you still living in new jersey or you're not where do you live no now? no my mom is still i grew up in new jersey yeah. in new jersey my mom's still there mm -hmm. um but no i'm in new york city and oh, long Island. okay so, all right so you're you're in new york with me so you yes. know that here it's harder to uh you know get into a restaurant and cross the border you know when you have you have to show your papers you have to, it's 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 the most ridiculous thing and this mayor adams i can't i i was about I, I was okay with him and then he pulled the whole um white journalist are racist to me because and, and i was like dude you, you you took all the democrats money who was a majority of a is a white party so like what, what are you saying right now like come on man Please. Right. I, I know. You know what? He's a flashier version of de Blasio. That, that's that's basically it. And he's getting bad coverage because he sucks so he far. I mean, right. It's not a big mystery here. Uh, look, how sad is it, Mike, that Eric Adams was the best one of the bunch <laughs> running for mayor of New York? Yeah. Look, you cannot bring the city back as Adams says he wants to do and not lift these mandates because you've got Forget about the New Yorkers who aren't vaxxed, who can't go into a bar or to a restaurant and spend mm -hmm. their money there. But you've got families right. from around the country whose kids can't or won't get vaccinated. So now they can't go see a Broadway show. They can't go to a museum. They can't go, you know, they can't go to basic places. They're not putting their money into the New York City economy. Correct. Philadelphia has taken out their mandates. DC has done the same. And it's time for New York and Boston to get with the program. I think Boston actually is lifting the vaccine mandate. I actually just saw that this weekend. So I don't know if that's if that was fake news or true, but I think they're actually done with that. Hope so. Yeah, but here here is um, you know, I have a lot of friends. I I used I work for the city still. I used to be FDNYEMS, but now I work for another organization in the city. And I still have a lot of friends that are um FDNY and they're actually holding out on the vaccine mandate. Actually, the deadline was it's supposed to be today, but I think uh, the governor is extending it 
because she sees how many people are not going to be working because of the vaccine mandate. So um, a lot of my friends are holding out and they haven't been paid in a month, two months, because, you know, Mayor de Blasio's parting gift was, oh, you have to get vaccinated within nine days. We're giving you just nine days. That's it. And then you don't have a job. I never heard of something so ridiculous in my whole life. It's fascist. I mean, let's face it. This is totalitarian tactics. Look at Justin Trudeau doing the same thing. I mean, the solution to all of this unrest and economic devastation is just lift all the mandates. Mm -hmm. We're now where the virus is basically a cold. And if someone is elderly or otherwise vulnerable, you separate them and you take care of them in a different way. But the rest of us got to live our lives. That's what tells you it's not about public health. It's only about power and control. Right. And that's what I try to tell people that give Trump a break when all these people died under him, because this coronavirus is never, never came to America. It was never here. We don't know about it. What do you want the guy to do? He just got this, this pandemic. It's, you know, he, he has the top scientists figuring it out and people died. It's unfortunate, but you can't, you can't hold it against him. And now more people died under Joe Biden, who had the tools to to stop to to control the it, pandemic. So why isn't anybody talking about that? Like, including the vaccine. That's what I'm saying. Which, yeah, the vaccine. So nobody's <laughs> talking about that. More people died under Biden having gotten vaxxed <laughs> than under Trump when there was no vaccine. That's what I say. Um, it's, it's ridiculous. It's the most ridiculous it, it uh, argument it, it, you can even talk about. Like it's so crazy. Yeah. No, this is the great reset uh, that comes out of the World Economic Forum to crush freedom and liberty and replace it with one world government and socialism, basically. Yeah, it's uh, we're living in bad times right now. We need something. We need like a Rudy Giuliani in the city. And then we probably need Trump to come back and fix everything. We definitely need a change of leadership across the board. That's for sure. One last question. Who do you think Trump should have as his VP if he runs? If he runs, um, do you think it should just? Do you think it should be someone like totally out of the blue, like a wild card, or do you think? What do you think he should do? Well, knowing Trump, it will probably be someone out of the blue and a wild card. Mm-hmm. Although he really, if he if he does run, he really will want to win again. Um, not just for his own reasons to correct the historical record after what happened to him in 2020 mm-hmm. with the pandemic and the election and everything else, but he genuinely cares about the country right. and about the American people. Um, and especially America's workers. He, I mean, I can come on another time and talk about the Trump economy and how it was a a rising tide that lifted all boats. Mm -hmm. Every demographic, African-Americans, Latinos, women, veterans, Americans with disabilities, Asian-Americans, everybody saw wage gains. Everybody saw historically low unemployment. The economy was booming and he did it with common sense pro-growth policies. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think if he were to do it again, yes, number one, he's got a selfish reason for doing it. But number two, more importantly, he wants to put the country back on track. Mm -hmm. You know, the the, uh, great resetters, the deep state operatives that destroyed him, they 
are still out there and they still are targeting him. But remember that Donald Trump's presidency was an interruption to all of this that we're now seeing. Right. He was elected, he wasn't supposed to win. So they had a holy crap moment, like, oh, now we got to deal with destroying this guy because he's interrupting, you know, after eight years of Obama, more and more socialism and so on. Trump stood in their way. They're not going to allow him to do that again without a fight. So if you think the Russia hoax was bad and all these crazy investigations that are baseless, wait until he announces he's running again. They're going to burn down the country again. That's how evil and sinister and widespread all of this is. And while I hope he does run again, we all have to be braced and be ready to fight even more than we did last time. Mm. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a difficult um, task. And hopefully he announces it soon. I mean, he really doesn't need to uh, plan much because every time this guy has a rally, he has... 20,000, 30,000 people there. So, you know, I think after 2020, a lot of people want to make it up to him Mm -hmm. that they came out and voted for him, but nobody was prepared for all the shenanigans that we saw. And I think a lot of people still feel um, emotionally hooked to Trump. He's got the emotional support Mm -hmm. from, you know, I would say the majority of Americans, not just political support, but emotional. He's got emotional ties to them. And that's something that every politician tries to establish, Mike. They all fail. It's all like, they, they want to think their support is organic. It never is. It's no. like, well, what's this guy versus this woman or whatever the choice is. Right. But for Trump, people really do believe in him. And after four years, he has a track record to point to, to say, you know, I told you I was going to deliver for the forgotten man and woman. And I really did. And they all know that. So they want to be there for them. We, for him, we just have to make sure that we are extra vigilant this time, like we weren't last time Mm -hmm. in the theft and the fraud and everything else that the Democrats orchestrated. Um, They're going to try to smear him. They're going to try to put him in prison before he announces or maybe after with all these investigations. We got to just do our part. You know, Mm -hmm. he's done his part. We got to make sure we do ours. Yeah. Well, Monica, it's been it's been great. I appreciate your time. You've been very generous with me. Where can we find you? Instagram, Twitter, where, where do we go? Oh, thank you. It's been so much fun, Mike. Call me anytime. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Monica Crowley, mm-hmm. on Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore, okay. on Facebook at Monica Crowley NY. And uh, President Trump this week is announcing his truth social. Uh, I, social I just got platform. on it. I'm on the wait list. I'm on the wait list. Oh, good. Okay. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll be on it too pretty yeah. soon. There's a long wait list. There's like 150,000 people online. So I can we'll imagine we'll waiting, but you probably have, you know, you could probably get over the wait list because you know people. So <laughs> I haven't done it yet, but I will yeah, be yeah. up there. All right. Well, thank you, Monica. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks. Bye.